Welcome to the Reggae Lover Podcast. Hey, what's going on, Reggae Lovers? This is Agard. This is Khalil Wanda. Thank you for tuning in. I want to send a big fat shout out to my family on niceupradio.com listening in right now. Shout out to everybody listening all over the world on every single podcast platform where this is available. Today we have a ridiculous guest on the show, in a, and I mean that in a good way. We had the chance to talk to a music industry exec, so it's more industry stuff coming at you this week. But it's not just any industry exec. This happens to be the manager of one of the most popular artists in the world, Sean Paul. An incredible conversation, an incredible person. Respect for him to for you know taking the time out to do our show. And Khalil, who are we speaking about? Yes, we're speaking about Steve Wilson, otherwise known as Steve Urchin, who's got an illustrious music industry resume and background, having worked with some of the greats in the music business, from Chris Blackwell to... Obviously, Sean Paul. Worked at some of the top studios, Island Records, Tough Gong, you name it, toured around the world several times. I've really been enjoying the conversations we've been having this season getting to deep dive the amount of experience that Steve has to bring to the table. It's just amazing. Yeah, man. So enjoy our little conversation with Steve Urchin Wilson. See you on the back end. Steve, you've been managing one of the most successful artists for decades now, Sean Paul. I know your bio starts out with you being a marketing exec at Tough Gong in Jamaica. How did you actually get in you know how did you get your start so what was interesting um to me was <clears throat> i come from like a really um a family of like very academic parents and academic even my brothers and sisters i'm the only one in the family only has one degree right everybody else got two or three degrees my dad's got a phd my mom's a you know phd wow so yeah so it was kind of like for me it wasn't like are you going to go to college it was you have to go to college yeah. so i went to ue um university of west indies in, in kingston and I, I didn't know I didn't know what to study. And this is, you know, a long time ago. There weren't a lot of the programs that are available now, you know, they, they weren't available then. And I was like, I don't I don't know what I'm going to study. I always wanted to. I was always interested in being social and being into music. That was, you know, that was me. So they had a program at, at um, Caramac, which is the Caribbean Institute of Mass Communication. And so I went there and I did a specialization in TV, even though I wasn't particularly interested in doing TV production, but it was the closest thing that I could sort of think, you know, this is this is kind of who I should be. And I remember like I had and I had my last exam of my last day of college was let's say Wednesday. And on Tuesday, a friend of mine called me and said, Hey, um, Reggae Sunsplash, you know, massive festival is looking for like some some people to work, you know, with artists and artist relations and backstage. And um, they're doing interviews like right now. And I was like, Well, I have an exam tomorrow. And he was like, Yeah, but if you wait till tomorrow, they're gonna already have hired everybody, mm. so you gotta go. So I was like, all right, you know what, I'll go. So I went and I had an interview with um, Sharon Burke from Solid Agency, who's still like a stalwart in the business. Yeah. It was Solid Agency, it was Sharon Burke, Jerome Hamilton, who was Sean Paul's booking agent to this day, mm. and uh, Robert Stewart, who is Sean Paul's production manager to this day. And it was a few of them. And I, I remember it was like, you know, maybe 20 minute interview, maybe 15 minutes. I didn't know if I did well or not. And they were like, okay, cool. So when can you start? And I was like, what, what do you mean? And they were like, well, can you start now? And I was like, now? And they were like, yeah, we have, can you, there's work now. 
And I was like, no, I have an exam tomorrow. And they were like, well, what time is your exam finish? And I said, three o'clock. And they're like, okay, be here at 3.30. I was just like, what? Like, what do you, what do you, like, you don't want to see my transcript. You don't want to like, you know, because everybody kind of said to me, to get a job, you have to have this and this and this. And they were just like, yo, we need somebody to work. You seem like you're into music, work. <laughs> that was my first job. And I started working Reggae Sunsplash. And then after that, I worked, you know, a lot with Solid Agency. I started road managing country ranks, you know, ended up at, moved from there to Tough Gong. And then it almost, it became like a kind of like a, I always say to people, it's like, it's like a cross training of, 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 of entertainment. Like I just went from, you know, studio manager to nightclub manager to, you know, doing sort of a little bit of everything. And then it kind of set me up for, being a manager became like being a manager became like the logical thing to do right because here's the secret truth is that i can't sing <laughs> i can't play any instruments right i i dream songs and then i wake up and i can't and i can't write them down that's like i always say that's like god's joke that he played on me <laughs> and i tried it's not like i didn't i never tried like i tried a few times and i was just like oh i'm, I'm, I'm terrible I had a choir director tell me once that I was tone deaf. So, so I was like, I knew I wanted to be in music. I knew I wanted to be around entertainment, but I didn't, I, I just said, if I can't do it, then I got to, you know, I want to, I want to manage it. So I knew, I knew um, Sean Paul back from like high school days, you know, like he, we were in swim clubs. He always swam um, for the various swim clubs and he swam for Jamaica too and played water polo for Jamaica. I never mm -hmm. made it that far, but um, I was a member of a swim club. And um, so we had a lot of friends in common and we spent a lot of time in the pool. And I always knew he was interested in music. And then we ended up like working together on a few things. And then we kind of went our separate ways while I did my sort of cross training. And he did, you know, went through his hard knocks. And then we'd always sort of run into each other every once in a while and be like, yo, you good? Yeah. And then when he started to kind of really begin to break, my high school friend, um, Jeremy Harding, was managing him at the time. And he was like, yo, I need somebody to go on the road with Sean. And I was like, I I'd love to go, you know? And so... I started as Sean's road manager and I was Sean's road manager for, mm -hmm. for many years. And then it sort of morphed and changed into becoming part of management and then becoming management, you know, and we're going through various partners and, and different things. And now it's, um, it's, it's, it's Jules, Jules Dougal and I and Sean's brother, Jason, AKA Jigzag, yeah. who managed Sean together. And it's kind of, it's kind of an interesting um, dynamic that like, to properly manage anything, I guess you guys also know this too, being, you know, co-hosts on a podcast is one person, you know, covers this area and the next person has to cover that area. And yeah, you want to overlap a little bit, but you don't overlap too much because then you find both of you are doing the same job, but nobody is doing the other job. And, you, you know, so you don't want that to happen. Right. Definitely. Definitely. Music is, is an entertainment is different, you know, like it, it's not... Um, it's not so formatted and, and corporate like a lot of other, other things. So it's kind of like something you kind of have to like, you kind of have to do it to learn it, you know? And that's, and that's kind of why I hopped around so much. I worked at advertising agency. I worked at, you know, worked at all these different areas. So, you know, I've designed logos, I've written press releases, I've, you know, done all this different kind of stuff, written budgets and bios and, and whatever. And so it's kind of got to a point where like, no matter where I am or what I'm doing with Sean, whoever we're hiring, I'm like, I've done your job before, so I know if you're doing it well or not. You talk about the cross-training, and I know it's got to be different now as you're able to look back, but, you know, was that always an intentional kind of thing to, you know, say, yeah, I want to learn all these different jobs, or, you know, while it was going on, was it like, you know, were, were, were there um, 
what do you call it? Interruptions where you weren't, you weren't doing anything and you're kind of nervous about what, you know, what's going to come next or, you know, I'm not where I want to be, you know, that kind of vibe. There was one, there was a one point where like I, I was working at Island, Island Records Jamaica with Chris Blackwell and, and, um, and I, and I got fired basically because my boss at the time, she left and another boss came in and the new boss was just like, I don't know you. I don't know what you can do. I don't know anything about you, you know, so I'm going to let you go. And I was just like, wow, like I don't, this was like, this is my dream job. Like everything up until then was kind of like working towards this pinnacle of working for Chris Blackwell, who was the guy that signed Bob Marley. I mean, he's a legend, right? I mean, it's somebody who was like a, he's an icon and, and, and a, you know, just an idol of mine. And so losing that job for, for not anything that was my fault was like, was really like a stunner and a slap in the face. And I just, I was just like, Ish, like what happens now? Like I was at the pinnacle. You know, what, what do I do now? And at that time, I was fan- managing Fahrenheit, uh, who's also known as Farineasy, who's now Sean's, Sean Paul's hype man. And he was just like a friend of mine from, you know, back then. And he just said to me, hey, you know, we've been like messing around with like doing shows and, and doing records and, you know, with our company. Let's like, let's get serious. And that's when I started my first record company, which was Mystic Urchin Music. And we kind of became the kings of what was then the cafe circuit in Kingston and of, of what was the first wave of alternative music in Jamaica. So guys trying to do R&B, guys trying to do hip hop, guys trying to do rock and roll. We kind of gave them a platform. We used to do shows at all these little cafes and bars. And it was, it was kind of, it was, it's looking back on it now, it was like it was a very clear movement that kind of paved the way for a lot of people to kind of come in and do different fusions and do different things. And, um, and we helped launch a lot of careers. Protégé was one of the shows that we did, like, you know, back in those days. And people were kind of like, who's this guy, you know? What year about what did this cafe circuit? The cafe circuit began, I would say, began like 93. And it ran kind of straight through to about 2000. Okay. You know, and like during that time, it was like, it was a lot of different things. And, and there were people who were like, oh, I'm a lawyer, but I, I, I want to, I've always wanted to do blues you know, or, you know, I'm, I'm a this, but I always wanted to play punk rock. And so, and our thing was kind of like, look, anybody, you're all welcome. Everybody come, come play music. And I'm pretty proud to say that it was a time when you could go in Kingston three nights a week and hear live music, which is not the story anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's something that really depresses me. And is one of like the things that I want to change and I want to see fixed and, 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 and go back to that. So like the whole kind of new wave reggae movement that's going on now with like, you know, just everybody whose name you can call, Chronics, Coffee, Protégé, you know, um, Janine, Savannah, Lila Ilke, like all those people. Like to me, that's kind of like the second wave of the kind of alternative music movement where people are like, okay, I hear what's playing on the radio and I hear what everybody's doing, but I don't care. I'm going to do what's coming from my heart because I feel like if I do it, you know, somebody will care and somebody will listen. And that wasn't something that, was really, you know, our culture back, you know, back in the day. It was kind of, yo, if you're not doing what's on the radio, nobody cares. And if you're not doing what's playing in the dance hall, then nobody cares. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it was kind of cool to, 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 to get to pilot that or co-pilot that. And we ended up on the cover of Billboard magazine because somebody came down to write an article about what was happening in, in dance hall. And I ended up driving that person around and telling them all about what I was doing. And they were like, yo, this is a cool story. <laughs> you know? Unfortunately, none of those people really ever got signed or like blew up big. It's unfortunate. I think it was kind of still ahead of its time. 
but I feel like it paved the way for a lot of stuff that happened afterwards. You know, even like Tessan Chin, which she, she was in like a rock band at the time called Mile High. You know, so like stuff like that. It, it gave people that early. Um, to me, like w- what like a live circuit does in any city, and like in Barbados, they they have it, and in Trinidad, they have it at Carnival, and like you have a lot of live music happening. It gives young artists a chance to to hone their craft and like begin to kind of understand how it is to relate to an audience and then also to write a song and then go and perform it and go, wow, that song worked great in the studio, but it worked, it was terrible on stage or vice versa. I thought that song was a throwaway, but I went on stage and I did it and people seemed to love it. Yeah. You know, so like, it's a really important part of, of, of developing, you know, of a, of, of a musician. So let's take a break to talk about one of our great sponsors. I'll tell you what, I was listening to an audio book about Bob Marley on Audible entitled So Much Things to Say. Mm-hmm. It's an oral history written and performed by Roger Stephens. He spent time down in Jamaica interviewing everybody, including Marley and everybody that was around him. So I'm talking Rita Marley, Skill Cole film crews that were down filming him, you know, all the members of the Whalers. He's having these conversations and these interviews that he also collected while he was doing the radio shows. He put all this information into a book. What's so great about it is it just immerses you into the experience, quoting Peter Bunny, the incidents happened with Bob getting shot, the concert when he brings the two political leaders on stage. And so you really get the excitement, the energy of what is going on. That book right there, I strongly recommend it to any reggae lover, anybody that's into Bob Marley, and we have a special deal. Go to Audible and get a free book, free trial of Audible. Visit audibletrial.com slash reggae lover, and there you can grab a free copy of this book. And the reason why I like Audible is because I like to learn new things, but sometimes I don't have time to read a book. I don't have time to sit there and leaf through the pages because I got work to do. So I like to listen to books in the car. If I'm riding a bike, just taking a walk in the neighborhood. There's so many different ways that you can actually learn new information or be entertained. You know, me personally, I like nonfiction. I like biographical stuff. So Audible is a great tool to use in order to take in that information and still go along with your day. Audible, they have the best narrators. You know, you're able to keep where you're at in the book. It's a very convenient way to take in new information and be entertained. Visit audibletrial.com slash reggae lover. So much things to say. The title by Roger Steffens, Oral History of Bob Marley. I, I grew up in New York, and obviously I listened to a lot of reggae music and a lot of sound system stuff. And I'm actually surprised by what you just said about there not being a lot of live music. You know what I'm saying? Especially in Kingston. Why is that? What's the reasoning behind that? Man, like I, it's something that I spent a lot of time kind of puzzling about. Mm-hmm. And I put I put some of the blame on just the whole digitizing of music that happened, like you know, in 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 um, you know, sort of eighties, nineties, where dancehall began to take like really full center stage. And then what happened was people who were making dancehall music were in the ghetto, and they didn't have like you know a full band or like a drum set, and they didn't have a studio that could record it, even if they did have it. You know what I mean? And then. You weren't learning, like, music in schools is not something that was ever given, like, a big priority in the Caribbean. So mm-hmm. you weren't learning, like, musical instruments. I always tell people, I, you know, I learned, they try to give you a recorder and tell you to yeah. learn how to play a recorder. And 
I mean, it's the most unpleasant instrument in the world. It certainly is not <laughs> going to turn anybody on to like wanting to learn music, right? <laughs> right, right. So everybody, so when those Casio keyboards came out with all those pre-programmed sounds and beats, people were like going crazy. Like, wow, all of a sudden I have, a, I have an orchestra in my house. And so guys who could play keyboards or, or, or who were gifted in like creating a beat could, could use those keyboards and really like create like awesome, like slanting and like some of those early dancehall, you know, just legendary rhythms. Um, and then what happened was guys jumping on records, like, you know, and then like, I mean, I remember, I think Slenteng, they said it was two, over 200 songs wow. on the Slenteng rhythm. And so what that means is when they, those guys go to perform it, they don't need a band. You know what I mean? And, and, and then so it was flipped records. You, you, you flip the version and you played the records, which was great because it allowed so many people to get into music and be able to get into dancehall. And then what happened is after a while, those guys started to realize, I'm making money for the promoter. I'm making money for the sound system. I'm making money for everybody, but not for me. So then it became a, yo, you got to pay me to show up and jump on the mic. And as those guys got bigger and bigger, then it would be less and less big names, like just jumping on the microphone at whatever dance. And I don't, I'm not exactly sure why, what happened. Because to me, like, it, just because I'm saying live music, it doesn't mean that it has to be a full band. Right, right. I mean, that would be awesome. But if it's even a guy playing a record and a guy live on the mic, to me, that's live music. Yeah. You know, you're talking about Brooklyn and, you know, Kingston. And like, that's, that's something that we grew up on knowing that's live music. But even nowadays, when you go to street dances, because you still have them in Kingston, mm. but you go to them and you might go to five a week and you might see one guy get on the mic. Whereas back in the day, the whole night would be about guys getting on the mic and like a line of guys trying to jump on the mic. Yeah, man. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I don't actually, I'm not, 100% sure exactly when that disconnect happened, but I know it definitely has a lot to do with, you know, just the, the, the financial side of things. And then it also has to, has to do with, you know, that there just aren't that many musicians in Jamaica. Like, there are guys who can play keyboards, and, and nowadays it's like, you know, you just, a computer, you download Fruity Loops, and, you know, and you make, you're a producer, quote-unquote. Like, to me, that's not a producer. Yeah. Some, you need to be able to, you need to know music, you know what I mean? I mean, I remember like the early days going into the studio and it was like, yo, this sounds, you know, we, we made it on a keyboard. Now we're going to get a bass player to come in and lay the bass line and the drummers come in and play the drums. And those guys were prominent and you needed musicians. Yeah, I mess with that stuff. I, I, I consider myself a beat maker. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't call myself a producer because there's so much stuff that goes into producing, you know, and, and knowledge of music. I agree with you on that point. But yeah, it's interesting insight. And I'm not fighting no beat makers at all. I mean, that's an important yeah, part of what, of what we have. And and I, I would love it if, if and, and uh, we used to do, uh, me and Farron actually did it. We used to, we had a bar and we had a night where we had a segment called Aux Chord, where anybody could come mm. in and plug in your phone and like play a song. Like, oh, I did this song last night and put it in and play the song. And, you know, that was a way of like unknown artists coming and being able to be like, yo, here's my record that I did. You know what I mean? Because that's the other thing that's like hard. Like, there's no, like, where's the access point for new musicians? You know what I mean? Or where's right. the access point for new artists? I think that's, like, open mics and that kind of thing are important parts of, of being able to, you know, create cracks for, for new music to come out of. And it forms a community. Absolutely. You know, you have people, you know, you, you might hear somebody be like, oh, man, that matches right up with what I'm doing. And you start talking and boom, you know? Exactly. Exa 100%. Like, that used to happen at Oxford all the time. Like a girl would come and be like, oh, I just have this thing that I did. It's just me and a, you know, and a bongo drum. And she'd plug it in and she played. And then a guy would come over and be like, yo, 
I play guitar. And when you played that, like I heard like a guitar riff that like goes like this, what do you think? And she'd be like, oh yeah, cool. And then, you know, they'd end up in a studio doing something or whatever. And like, it, it, it builds the whole, just the whole music scene. Like, you know, it, it, we just, you just need that. Like I always say, like, it's hard to create in a vacuum. You know, if, if I'm sitting here trying to think of ideas about a podcast and then you walk into the room and then he walks into the room and the three of us are talking all of a sudden, no, we don't have three times the ideas. We have a hundred times the ideas. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I guess we're touching on a, on a subject that I know I've heard you speak about in doing the podcast circuit a little bit. <laughs> and the thing that popped into my head is the, the value of the artistry in, in Jamaica. Cause you know, Reggae music, this is called Reggae Lover Podcast. It, you know, it began in Jamaica. And it's it's a it's hard for me coming from Brooklyn, being a fan of reggae my entire life, to understand why it is that this force isn't pushed as much in Jamaica, in the place of its birth, as it is in other places in the world. I don't have enough insight to figure that one out. <laughs> you know, you, you know, you know what? I, 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 there's, yeah. there's a phrase that goes... Closer to church, further from God. Mm. You ever heard that phrase? Like that, I think, has a lot to do with yeah. it. It's like, you take it for granted. It's here. It's every day. You turn the radio on. You, you walk down the street. You go to a street dance. Everywhere you go, it's reggae music, reggae music, reggae music. And it's, um, I remember, I think in the 80s, somebody told me this, that Jamaica, Kingston, Jamaica, puts out more music per capita yeah. than any other city in the world. Right? So what mm. happens is, we have a short memory. And a short appreciation, like a hit here lasts less time than it lasts most places, right? So it's like, it's a constant, what have you done for me lately kind of thing, you know, like, what's, yeah, okay, that's cool. You did that 10 years ago, but what's, what else, what else have you done? What have you done this week? So I think that, that, that it's, it's, it's a constant king of the hill, right? It's like, who's the mm -hmm. hottest guy right now? You know, who's the hottest guy right now? I mean, like, I, I have friends who left Jamaica six years ago, eight years ago, 10 years ago. And they'll be like, oh, when I left Jamaica, so-and-so was running the place. And I'll be like, who? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> what, are you, what are you even talking about? Like, you're crazy. Like, I think that has a lot to do with it. Like, there's just this constant kingship going on. So there's never that much time to say, wow, wait a second. What this man just did is, is legendary. You know what I mean? There isn't the time to do that. Like, there isn't that mm. attention. You know, it's kind of like, like backyard basketball or, or football where, like, somebody does something great, but there's no time to stop and be like, oh, wow, let me give you accolades for that thing you just did because this dude has the ball now. <laughs> yeah. So what? You just did a great dunk or you just made a great goal. I don't care. That, that guy has the ball. He just did something else. Interesting. We try to talk about solutions as much as we can and not just commiserate about the problem because we know we can find, <laughs> we know we can find opportunities to improve and issues and, Though this may be something that really bugs us, um, I could tell that you're passionate about it as well. Do you think that yeah. there's anything that will happen to change the way that it is for the better? Because we've had guests on the show that have kind of, you know, just predicted by that by like 2040, let's just say that pretty much their reggae is already on life support <laughs> and that, you know, it's going to be controlled by, uh, you know, other powers outside of jamaica eventually is there a way that we can get it back you know what are your thoughts on that they've been saying rock and roll is dying for you know how much years whatever it things morph you know what i mean i i, I don't think I, i'm not worried about reggae in terms of like as a genre like that like especially now with like jesse royal and 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 protege chronics and all these 
people who I think are just so awesome and amazing, uh-huh. especially for, for creating out of the box and not like going with what was there before. They kind of came in and were like, you know what? what what's there is cool, but we're going to do something totally different. And you know what it's done to me? Because a lot of people listen to either that new wave reggae music or they listen to dancehall. And I listen to both. So what I have noticed is that those guys coming out and being so like awesome and hardcore and just like killing it has given rise to like some really amazing dancehall artists like Dexter Daps and Governor and TJ, like people like that to me, I'm like, yo, I'm impressed by those dudes, Squash. I'm impressed by the creativity that's now being, being coming back in dancehall. Where because those guys are like, yo, we can't make these guys run away with the thing. So it's kind of cool that that's happening. And I'm happy about that. What I am not happy about and what I would like to see change is that the historians of reggae have always been non-Jamaican, right? The right. people who, who, who catalog our stuff and go, yo, so for 1985, this is the stuff that was awesome. And these are the people who deserve accolades and giving the accolades are, are not us. And I would like to see us step into that arena and really own that part of our stuff, our museum. Like we need to be like, hey, we are the ones who say these are the dope records and these are the dope artists from this time. And we're the ones who are going to, we need to create a, a hall of fame and it has to be in Kingston and there has to be a, a Soka hall of fame and it has to be in Trinidad. You know what I mean? And like, we need, we're the ones who need to, who need to narrate our story, right? It's, it's so it doesn't become a his story. It's a, it's a my story. Yes. You yeah. know, and then, and then that also needs to ha- start happening with the money. There you go. That's a hard, that's a, that's a hard thing. I mean, Chris Backwell tried to do it with Island Jamaica, and I'm not going to say it's easy. I'm not saying it's an easy thing. And then, of course, there's the government side of things who I think they need to kind of step in and be more hardcore and serious about keeping the, the seeds, keeping the seeds of our culture here, right? Mm-hmm. And it, 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 it don't even get me started talking about cannabis because that's another thing where we lost the seeds of our culture, right? And now it's being told to us what good ganja is by other people outside of Jamaica, right? And it's a, it's a similar thing with, 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 with reggae music, you know? Like, Bob Marley, I always tell the story, like, you know, about Bob Marley not being accepted here, you know, at first, and being internationally successful, and then coming back, and everybody in Jamaica now acting like Bob was always a star here and a loved person here, and that's not true. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And then the artist I'm on is Sean Paul, is somebody who people in Jamaica are like, yeah, Sean, cool, you know? But, like, people don't realize this guy's gone to 120 countries carrying the flag of reggae music and dancehall music and is the only person to take a dancehall rhythm and go to number one on the Billboard chart. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But he's not celebrated and he's not, you know, held up to be like, yo, this guy is, 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 has done amazing things with our musical genres. You know what I'm saying? And, like, there's no reggae hall of fame. Yeah, so you brought up the government. That kind of perks my ears up because, you know, I live in capitalist America. And, you know, even in socialist countries, they're, they're still like in Canada, right? Like if you're an artist, you can get a government grant to shoot yeah. videos and, and make songs. But even in, in America, there's certain businesses. Like if, if you have a certain business, they're going to give you tax breaks or a tax write-off in order to promote that business. Yeah. And again, I mentioned this again. I'm not in Jamaica, but I see the value of the creativity and the culture. Of course. Obviously, there's some type of disconnect with the government. Do you see like a pathway in which you can kind of convince them of just the sheer amount of money, taxable income, revenue that can be generated from from this culture? Because from what I've seen, it's been ignored, 
kind of brushed off and then you know when it's election time they're using the music and that type yeah. of thing so yeah. is there a pathway to say to reform the government in its way of thinking about this stuff well i mean i i'll tell you um babsy grange who is who is in government now and in charge of that area is somebody who has always put and had good rapport with music with the music industry um i like some of the things she's doing she has done some tour support and and has like you know um, with Atana and other artists, and she's reached out to the to the community. But here's the thing: like there is a, a genuine distrust, right, that has been grown over the years of artists going, mm-hmm. well, every time government come to me, it's something them want, and it's not something I'm coming to give. And so I think that there is a resistance, right, to to anything. And then also being tied mm-hmm. to somebody in government means that you're politically now tied to that person. That means okay, I did something with Babsy. That means I'm now JLP. And that, that shouldn't be so. It should just be, yo, government came to me to help me culture, mm-hmm. your music, and that's, a gov- that's part of the government's job, and that's part of the musician's job now, to play their side of the, of, of the court and say, yeah, okay, cool. This is what we need. Like, you, you can't just sit at the table and say, I'm starving, and you didn't ask for food, <laughs> right? right? So, right. So, so to me, yeah. it's, there, there's, there, there's, it's, it's two-sided. Like, that's why I've started actually talking so much about it, because I want people to say, okay, this guy's talking. What is he saying that, that they need? Let's start, let's have a rapport. Let, let other music people hear me talking too and let them say, yo, he's right, for real. We should go sit down and talk to government and tell them what, what we need because the government's not in the music business. Right, yeah. So we need to guide them and they need to guide us. So I do think there's a pathway. I absolutely do. Yeah, man. I mean, in, in the States and across North America, Live Nation is one of the biggest corporations you know they're very powerful yeah and there's no reason why jamaica can't have something like i know some people disagree with that because they're not into the whole capitalism thing and this that and the other but culturally i think you need more balance and that that's just my perspective and i i do appreciate you speaking about out about that aspect of it because i think it's lost a lot of times you know, especially with fans, you know, we, we care about the culture. We talk about the culture, but we need to also talk about financial things, business things, political things that can make a difference for, for, for to benefit the world, not just Jamaica, the world. No, you're, you're absolutely right. Right. Because here's the thing. We live, we live, we live in a capitalist world. I wish it wasn't so. You wish it wasn't so. Lots of people wish mm-hmm. it wasn't so. Right. But that's, that's a reality. So if something doesn't make dollars, then it don't make sense. Right. And, and, and that's, that's just a reality. So it, it has to be something realistic. There has to be money in it. There has to be... But that, this is the way I always put it. I always say, look, we know, that, we know that reggae is gold. We know that music is gold, right? We know that entertainment is gold. So let's spend some money mining it. Just like if we found out there was diamonds or oil or, or, or gold, we wouldn't just be like, yo, let's send some guys up there with some pickaxes and shovels. <laughs> We'd be like, no, let's go invest in mining equipment. Let's figure out who the experts are on how to get this... The, the best quality out of the ground in the, mo- in the shortest space of time and how to keep it running and how to keep some of the money here and all this kind of thing, right? So, like, I, I feel like that's what we need to start treating music like the national resource that it is, right? Yeah. And, and tr- tr- that it's, like you said, it's money, of course. So treat it, with, treat it with the same respect. Let's have music programs in schools all across Jamaica, kids learning not just about how to make music, but also how to produce music, how to mix music, how to engineer, how to light a stage, how to shoot a video, how to edit a video, how to do social media, how to do a podcast, how to be on the radio, how to be a choreographer, how to be a dancer, how to learn choreography. I mean, there's all this. There are so many jobs. Right. Yeah. And so yeah. much resources. Like in school, I was I was 
made to believe that I couldn't be in the music business because I couldn't make music. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. I had to figure that out myself. I had guys who I was in school who are now DJs on the radio or, or hosts on podcasts and TV who had to figure it out for themselves because nobody ever said, hey, here are some possibilities that are available to you. It was just Dr. Indian Chief, lawyer, Indian, you know, Dr. Lawyer, Indian Chief type thing. Yeah, and that goes, that goes back to the documentation, right? Because even last week we were talking to a, a, a friend who's a photographer, and he was surprised to know that a lot of the documentation photography-wise of reggae culture hasn't been done by Jamaicans. It's no. people flying in. It's, it's, so what you're talking about is like, for example, me growing up in New York, in, in the hip-hop era, you know, Russell Simmons starts writing books and 50 Cent and all these people. And then you learn, oh, there's all these different things behind the scenes. You don't have to be the guy who's in front. You know, you have editors of magazines who start to be stars, you know? Yeah. So I, I get what you're saying, and I, I agree with you. You know, there needs to be that documentation. And in terms of the business, I mean, one thing that sticks out to me, you know, we're talking with uh, Kwesi from... Uh, you know, uh, to make a music conference. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he was talking about the fact that, you know, the reason why the uh, streaming services aren't in Jamaica is because of the laws. You know, there's there's no way for them to recoup royalties for people and stuff like that. That's amazing to me that that's, you know, part of the reason why Jamaicans can't even profit over their own, you know, from their own work in their own country, you know? I never actually heard that before. One of the things that I had heard was that they didn't think that we were a big enough market to bother to have streaming services here. There's probably another one. Yeah, I heard, <laughs> I heard, I've heard various things over there. Um, I have to big up Apple Music because Apple is now here in Jamaica and they gave everybody um, three, to, three or six months free, depending on if you'd ever had a subscription before. So Apple mm -hmm. is here. I don't think mm -hmm. anybody knows that. There was never a press release. They never came here. They never threw a party. They don't have an office here which is, you know, to me, it's criminal, right? They should have an office in Jamaica for how much music we put out. Every time I do, like, I do, like, free consultations to artists or, you know, stuff like that, or, like, when the, I get those calls where it's like, hey, my cousin, my daughter, my dog, whatever, wants to get into music, the first thing I say is, do you have a Spotify page? And they're like, well, we can't have Spotify in Jamaica. So, so no. And then the ones that do, like, it's like a VPN blocker or whatever, whatever, and they don't understand... Yeah how to work a Spotify page. There's nobody who, there's never been a workshop. They've never come here and said, hey. And if they have, it's been so high-tech, high-profile that certainly nobody really in the music business knows about it. You know what I mean? Whereas, like, I've been to New York and other places where you go to Spotify and it's artists all day long coming through the building, like, learning, like, best practices and how to do this and how to do that and how should you social media and how should you share and how should you... How do you get on playlists and all that kind of stuff? We there's we don't know. So there's no so there's nobody teaching that. So the optimization of reggae on all those kind of services is something that's lagging behind. You know what I mean? And I'm glad to see how well Jamaicans support YouTube. So you put up a YouTube video and Jamaicans will go watch it, because that's the only thing mm -hmm. that we that's the only thing we have, and that's the only thing we know. So we yeah. but then but then I heard yeah. that YouTube pays less for Jamaican views than they do for views anywhere else or in Caribbean views than they do for anywhere else because of whatever advertising, blah, blah, blah. But I'm, look, I'm also happy to see corporations like Flow and, and other companies starting to advertise on YouTube here. So maybe that will start pushing up our, 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 our money. I don't know. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. Maybe it will take a long time. But I just feel like there's, there's not enough 
governmental and music industry and private sector people working together to go, yo, how is it that this guy made $3 million off of 3 million views, but this person only made 100,000 off of 3 million views? Like, let's fix that. Let's change that. You know, and then the people who are fixing it and changing it are people who aren't Jamaican or who aren't West Indian, right? right? Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, every year to me, I, I listen to like the top 20 soca songs. Like, these are some amazing records. And then you look at the streams and they're like, nothing. And you're like, how can this be? You know what I mean? And it just means yeah. that it's not being marketed. It's not being optimized. Very yeah. interesting. And we, we've talked about <laughs> all of this, but we appreciate your insight into it because you're not just throwing ideas out there. I mean, I think that these are real things that could and should be implemented, um, especially in terms of within the government. And they need to talk to you. <laughs> you know, yeah. they put you put you in one of those positions to help get some things going, man. He's like, nah. <laughs> I'm willing. Listen, man. I'm, I'm willing to consult and I'm willing to help for sure. I don't. I don't want to hold any kind of office or nothing like that. But I think, I, and I want to talk more about private sector. I think private sector is, is 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 a sector that that could also be really instrumental in pushing this forward. They understand music. I mean, they understand business. They understand marketing. So mm -hmm. they're mm -hmm. they're marketing and producing and make. And we have companies here that are making products and doing really well and being really innovative and being really smart and doing a lot of great things. So we should get some of that brain power and some of that, you know, corporate understanding and apply that to our largest resource ever, which is music. Yes. You know, right. We pay so That's... much more attention to other things, you know. Yeah. And I think especially right now during COVID, people are starting to go, OK, we, we, we put a lot of money and a lot of infrastructure and a lot of thought into tourism. And now, like, we're all suffering and we don't have anywhere to turn. And I think that's why a lot of people are starting to listen to people like me or who are saying what I'm saying and going, wait a second. So hold on. You mean to tell me that all this music that's been made here, the money's not here, not coming here, not being made here? So we're, we're, we're no, 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 no. <laughs> you know what I mean? We've got to have multiple income streams, man. Like you said, it comes, right. it comes back to dollars, right? You don't make dollars, it don't make sense. Yeah. And it's something that we've seen in you know places like california uh we've been to out in japan and you have all the reggae stuff is is all corporate sponsored <laughs> corporate yeah. sponsorship all day long you know and there's serious industry so it definitely is something that could and should be going on in jamaica it's interesting like i i remember in the 80s when it was every jamaican artist was going to japan and doing shows and making money and like japan splash was like a big money maker every year and, you know, so many Japanese tourists coming to Jamaica to hear reggae and meet the reggae artists. And, and then after a while, Japanese just started going, well, we're just going to start making our own reggae. Yep. You know, and then you, and, and not, I have no problem with that. Like, I think that it's awesome. Like, one of the things that proves how awesome reggae is is that there's a California reggae scene. There's a Japan reggae scene. There's a, a French reggae scene, a German reggae scene, an Indonesian reggae scene, a Hawaiian reggae scene. Like, there are so many reggae scenes all over the world, which is awesome. But those people who know, like the musicians know the, the reggae artists, but the, the fans of those musicians don't know the reggae artists. And then exactly what you were just saying is that in Japan, the support for an artist is so much bigger, both from government and from corporate and from private sector, that mm -hmm. they're well set up. They're, they're sponsored. They're... They're supported, they're great business managers, they're marketing, they have tax incentives, 
blah, 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 all this kind of stuff, that they go on to be very successful and make a lot of money. And in my humble opinion, not be as talented as the people who influence them in the first place. And they'll even tell you that. Mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yet even still sound in Jamaica, system. these people who and sound systems too, same yeah. thing. DJs, yeah, the sound government, systems, you know what I mean? Acknowledging of Japan, acknowledging Mighty Crown and these things, you know what I'm saying? Like I don't really see <laughs> you know that happening in the birthplace of the music. Sound system is uh-huh. almost like it's like looked down upon is the way that it seems. Yeah, because it's like I said, it's it's it's, it's something that like is predominantly from the ghetto and a lot of mm-hmm. Jamaican people try to disassociate and say, Oh yeah, you know, well I, I, I used to be in the ghetto or or you know, so there's this disassociation, you know, um, I think happens from it. Um, and then also, just like I said, the, the, the how much it is is so common that you don't, you don't notice it. Every day you get up and you go around, you go about your life and you don't notice that here is this incredible culture that's just happening. Nobody ever planted the seeds, right? It just happened. Like nobody ever went out and created Bob Marley, right? Bob Marley just happened. No corporate and no government helped to create a Bob Marley or a Dennis Brown or a half pint or, a, you know, Bob Andy or, I mean, t- pick a thousand names, right? These, it, it, they happened almost, not, I'm not going to say by accident, but almost in spite of yeah. the environment in which they yeah. grew up, they right. happened. So yeah. some people have this thing like, oh, hardship makes reggae music. You know what I mean? Okay, let hardship make reggae music, but then let, let progress pick it up once it's grown. You know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, let's cultivate, Yo, let's cultivate it. it. Yeah. Okay, yeah, okay. You, be, you feel like you need hardship to, to seed? All right, but then when it starts to grow, let's cultivate it. You know what I mean? And propagate it. This is why you should have a podcast. <laughs> I'm working <laughs> on it. You guys are supposed to help me. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about experience with Sean Paul over the years, we've talked about him almost like in the, what we say, top five. People um, always talk about, oh, yeah, who's the next Bob? And, you know, they're looking at all the rest of them out there. But <laughs> yeah. it's it's like, yo, who's really done the work and continues to, I mean, even in 2020, 2019, it's like, yo, the man is doing ridiculous things, Yep, you know, representing. So that transition, you know, I, I was there in, um, I think, 97 in Club Flavors in Atlanta. Sean Paul came through and performed, you know. <laughs> wow. And yeah, man, it was a it was a big deal. And just to see that explosion, the trajectory over the years. Talk to us a little bit about how you what you feel went into the success formula. Is it and the the growth? Was it more you and the team around him growing? It's affecting him or was it him growing affecting what was going on you know talk to us a little bit about that i i, I always when people ask me about sean's success i always there's one thing that always comes to my mind first and foremost and it's work ethic right and and it's, it's professionalism and, and discipline and sean is a is a guy who's a studio perfectionist right he'll go in the booth and he just do it over and over and over and over and over a hundred times until he feels like he's gotten, not just gotten it right, but gotten it the best. Like, is this the best I could do it? You know what I mean? Um, I've mm-hmm. seen a lot of artists who are impatient in the studio and they're like, oh, I did it once. I don't feel like doing this again. I don't even want to double it. Can you just like digitally double it and auto tune it and 
when Sean goes and does shows, people are always like, wow, he sounds like the record. Like, how does, how does he do that? And I'm like, well, that's mm-hmm. kind of how it's supposed to be. <laughs> you know, you're not supposed to not right. be able to recreate your records on stage. So that's one thing. And then Sean just is the guy who, you know, he'll show up, you know, like, okay, you're supposed to be X place at X time and he'll show up. And that might sound simple, but like in artistic people, creative people tend not to always be the most disciplined people. And that can be a big problem because people just be like, I mean, think about it. So you guys are doing a podcast and you have five, you have five guests to choose from. And four of them are guys who you super respect and think are awesome creatively, but you know, they're going to show up late or not at all, or might not show up. And then there's one guy who you're like, yeah, he's good, but he's not as good as the other four, but we know he's going to show up on time. We know he's going to be like a good guest. He's going to have interesting things to say, and he's going to like treat us with respect. Who are you going to call? Yeah, man, the stand-up person. Right. So, so I think that has a lot to do with, with Sean's success. Like he's just, you know, he respects other people's time and he respects his fans. He's always, he's always used to say to me, like, I, you know, like, I can't believe how many people like are my fans. I can't believe how many people like my music. Like it's, 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 it's a mind blow. He's a true artist. That's the other thing. When he creates something and people don't like it, he's so hurt. Like he's like, he takes it personal. He's like, oh, I can't believe they didn't like this record that I did that. Like I spent so much time doing. So that, yeah. I, and I think people feel that people feel like, yo, this guy didn't just try to write a hit or try to make something because he's trying to make money. He did this because he had to, because it was inside him and it had to come out. And I think that you just, you can't deny that kind of energy. You know, and especially when this person's just like, I'm not going to stop. I'm just going to keep coming at you. You know what I mean? Sean's making music because he feels, he, he's like, I still feel music. I still want to yeah. make music, you know? Yeah, it's interesting you say that. It seems like he's an artist, artist. So, you know, both of us are DJs. And, you know, me, I'm more of an open format DJ. So sometimes I look around and I see a lot of Sean's music in a lot of different genres. You know, a lot of collaborations. Yeah. And what I realized by what you just said is, Artists want to, gonna, are going to want to work with him because he's that type of guy. It's not that he's the Jamaican guy. You know, obviously he makes a hit. But, I, you know, speaking to some artists that I've spoken to in the past, you know, they also want that person who is not difficult to work exactly. with. Is there in the studio, you know, is there for an amount of time and wants to get it right, collaborates and says, okay, I don't think I did it quite that well. Let me do this over because that adds to their song you know so i i just put that together because you know for for a while you know i couldn't figure it out like yo he's on so many different and i'm talking about you know you know i mean brazil and you know all these latin things and american and pop stuff and i'm like you know what it's not just because he's the jamaican guy it's not it can't be because as 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 neil pointed out to us a lot of a lot of us caribbean people <laughs> are very difficult at times so i think it, it speaks to his you know work ethic so i, I just kind of put that together you know and i, I commend Wait, now, you, you know, guys you know what's for interesting that. on the collab thing like i just i did a i did a youtube um playlist and if you look on my on my youtube i think it's under mystic urchin or steve urchin or which one but i did a, a playlist of, of sean collabs just for just for kicks one day and i got up to 92 collapse and i was like this is crazy and what i realized is he loves music and so when somebody like simple plan who's like a rock band from canada says hey we did this record and we think you could be perfect on it a lot of people might be like what i'm not doing that sean be like let me listen to the record and he'll be like yo 
I like the melody. I like, I like what you're doing here. All right, cool. I'm gonna try it. You know what I mean? Like, and, and so I think that that yeah, happened yeah. a lot and happens still a lot where people are like, who's like, if you want something like that, that's out of the box or something that you know is going to turn that, that, that air, like people will be like, wait a second, who's that? You know what I mean? Then, you know, you could always call him and he's going to show up for you all the time. Yeah, man. And this is something I said before. He always kills it. Like if whatever the amount of bars or verse that he has, like he's never half stepping, like, you know what I'm saying? And for me, that's what, if I'm listening to that particular song, that's what sets it off for me because you know what I mean? It's just the way his voice comes on. So that, that's, um, that's big. Um, and what you're talking about, it's true ambassadorship, you know, exactly. He's really representing for the culture the right way. And we, man, we just need so much more of that, <laughs> you know, to you, permeate. You know, another industry. thing that just, just came to me was like, I remember when I first started working with Sean and like when, when Gimme Light started blowing up and we started getting calls from like, you know, everywhere. And it was like, we sat down one day. I remember, I don't, I don't remember where it was, but we sat down, we spoke about it. It was like, yo, you know, how do you feel about going to some of these places that nobody's been to before or that nobody we know has been to? Like, you know, w- you know, do you want, want to go? You feel like, you know, we should just avoid it. Let's go where it's safe, where the money's good and we know we're going to be good. Or do you want to like push the envelope and like, you want to go hit these places? And he was like, bro, like, I want to go. Like, I want to, I want to, I want to take the reggae flag. I want to take the down south flag everywhere. And, and I was like, all right, then let's do it then. And, and so we, it was, sometimes it was hard to do due, due diligence on some of those places because it was like nobody ever went there before. Most of the time, who I ended up calling was, was Robert Livingston or Paul Rossi from Shaggy's camp. And I'd be like, yo, you guys are the only people who I know who might have been here. Because <laughs> right? yeah. you know, Shaggy mm-hmm. did that like right before us. And it was, it was cool to have somebody who would be like, oh, you're going to go there? All right, who are you going with? That promoter? All right, that guy's good. Don't worry. You can be solid. You know what I mean? Or, 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 or wait, don't go yeah. with that guy. That guy's, he's not the guy to go with. Go with this other guy or whatever. And so it's something that I try to do now too with other artists who are coming up. I'm like, I'll call their managers and be like, yo, listen, if you're ever going somewhere or you find yourself in a situation where you feel like you need some advice, like feel free, like shout me out. And, and I'll tell you if I've been there before or if I work with that person before. Um, and I think that had a lot to do with Sean pushing those boundaries and creating those audiences because you'd go somewhere like Madagascar and do a show and people be like, you know, for 20, 30 years, they're going to be like, I remember that day when Sean Paul came here and we went to go see the show. And you know what I mean? Like it becomes like a legendary story. And so people in that country now have like a special place in their heart for him and for his music and for dancehall because of it. Wow. We've been, we've been some places, bro. No, I know. Even when I, even when I think about traveling, I'm like, you know, are they, are they good to, to our, our complexion? You know, like that's really, that's what everybody yeah, has to yeah. think about sometimes. Too. But it's interesting, yeah. you know, because even, even we as African people of African descent, right? We, we a lot of people from African descent would be the first ones to say, Oh, I'm not going to do a show in Africa because I don't know how they're going to deal with me and how, you know, I don't know how the, music, the, the production's going to be. And I'm not going to say every single country has been smooth because there's definitely been some crazy adventures. But, um, you know, but mm-hmm. the truth is, is it can't move forward unless you give it a chance to move forward. So, like, I would even, that's another thing that I would do. We go do shows in these places where no one has done a show before, no one big has done a show before. I'd, I'd walk through things with promoters and be like, look, when big artists come here, you got to be able to have this and have that. And you got to be able to make sure that when you say 
that you're going to give them something that you're not just saying it because you know they want you to say yes. Because that was what, what I ran into a lot of times on some of the, the smaller promoters. Like, I'd be like, hey, do you have so-and-so? And they'd be like, yeah, yeah, we have that. And I'm like, I don't feel like you really do. Mm. You know, and he's just telling me that to make me mm-hmm. feel happy. And I'm like, that's not the way to do it. Just tell me, no, you don't have it, but you have something else, you know, or, or let's, let's work around it. So it was interesting, you know, to, to also right. build those bridges, you know, and, and be able to have those, to try and bring those people forward too. And not just be like, oh, that's going to be difficult. Right. So let's not bother to do it, you know. I feel like we're definitely going to have you on again. Yeah, man, I'm ready. Because there's... <laughs> There's so much to talk about. Talk to us about your podcast coming up. What's the, the vision and how did that whole, whole thing come about? So I think I, I, I kind of got this feeling over, like, I think I'd say maybe, you know, COVID has, has created a lot of um, time to, to, to look inside and to reflect and to think for a lot of people. And for me, too, um, I think financially, it's been a rough time for a lot of music industry people. But creatively, it's probably been a very fruitful time. And I think we're going to hear some amazing music coming out after this period. Um, and it certainly made me sort of, you know, look, ba- look back on things and reevaluate and say, well, okay, you know, you know I've done a lot of things, but what haven't I done, you know? And one of the things that I keep coming back to is, like, I feel like I want to... I it, it, it might sound egotistical to say, like, I want to help people, but... It's not really that I want so much I want to help people. It's like I want to I want to be able to share what I have seen and share what I have learned, which is why, like you said, I'm like, I'm kind of like on this podcast campaign where like I'm like, I want to I want to talk about what yeah. I've seen and what and, and how I've done things and what mistakes I've made. Cause you know, I mean, because there are people behind me, you know, coming up and trying to like to go through the same things that, that I went through. And it would just be I I mean, I know back then I would have been great to be able to have somebody to be like, hey, like how does this work and what do, you know, what, what do I do or what should I do? And like, I always got to like shout out Robert Livingston who used to manage Shaggy. And like, he was somebody who, when I'd run into him anywhere, I'd be like, I'd always corner him and be like, yo, I got 10 questions for you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And like, it, it was great to have that yeah, person, yeah. but there weren't a lot of people like that, you know? And so I think that like, it's, 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 it's important to be able to be a resource for the industry, the industry that, 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 that birthed me. And they gave me a chance and gave me that opportunity to be able to go out there and do it. Like, I want people coming up behind me and doing it. And I want them doing it better. And I think that the only way we're going to increase, you know, the productivity and the connectivity of our whole, of our whole culture and of our own scene is by being a resource for each other. You know, it's, it takes a village, basically. So I want, to be, I, I, want, I want to be part of the So, you know, I, I want to be that old dude, you know, old dog. <laughs> You know, in 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 boys' note, you know, or it's like you know, you go to that dude and ask him for advice because you know he done it a hundred times, and maybe you listen, maybe you don't, but at least now you have a perspective. I think that's definitely what's needed because I mean, what I've seen with this generation coming up is, and somebody said this, I can't remember who. It's like we didn't teach them, you know, yeah. the stuff that was taught to us. And I think it is that technology thing. It is that, you know, there's less and less places where there's that interaction going on, you know, whereas before, you know, we'd all hang out at studios or hang out before after parties or concerts or wherever it is. And I think intergenerationally, it's not happening as much anymore. So something as simple as a podcast is, you know, revolutionary yeah, in that way. Yeah, definitely. Like, it's, it's, it's something that, like, um, so I've, I've gone to speak at, um, at Edna Manley, which now has a music management course. 
And I went to speak oh. at I went to speak at um, University mm-hmm. of West Indies, which also has a music management course. Shout out to Dennis Howard, who was teaching that. Um, and at both of them, I kind of said, I don't want to go in there with like a long prepared speech where I can stand up and spout about what I've done and blah blah blah. Because I don't when I think about what I've done, I don't think I'm traditional, right? <laughs> like I, to me, it's always like I ain't done nothing. But what <laughs> yeah. what I try to do is like I'm like, look, I want to create a a, a a long question and answer kind of session where I don't know what's on your mind. I don't know what's cute. What's, what's interesting to you. I might stand up here and talk for 30 minutes. And then you're all looking at me like, I don't care about nothing. You just said, I just want to know where you got your glasses or some ish. You know what I mean? And so it's like, I try to be like, <laughs> yeah. okay, you know, here's a quick introduction of who I am and what I've done and where I've been and blah, blah, blah. And why, why my opinion should matter to you. Now you ask me the questions, you know what I mean? And I found mm-hmm. that it's been very fruitful because they kind of go, Whoa, wait a second. What? We get to ask the questions. Okay, wicked. And they, they ask questions. And a lot of times the questions aren't things that I ever thought of speaking about. It was, it's, it's proven to me that like, I do have something to offer. You know what I mean? And, and it's, it's a powerful feeling to feel that I have something I can tell them that they want, that they want to hear. I don't want to stand up and just be boring and just yeah, blah, blah, blah. Screw that. Like, I, I, want, I want to be able to you know, put the right fertilizer on the right plant. And it's something that I always, I find in both yeah. occasions, I, I, I found myself kind of teaching things that, that nobody teaches you, like networking. And yeah. Both mm-hmm. of them, I sat there and mm-hmm. I did like, it was supposed to be an hour and they ended up being like two hour sessions both times. And at the end of it, I said, I'm about to leave and not one of y'all have asked me for my phone number, for my Instagram page, for anything that you could reach out to me on. None of you have said, hey, this is what I do. And I'm interested if you ever, if you ever need me. You know what I mean? I say, you, mm. none of y'all may ever be in the same room with me ever again. Mm-hmm. They were like, wait, what? Wait, what? Wow. Like, you saw, like, the popcorn popping where they were just like, all of a sudden, everybody <laughs> was like, yo, so give me a number. And I was like, I'm not giving none of you my number. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> but I give you my Instagram, and then you could DM me. And if you do DM me, I'll give you my number. And even after I said that, it's still, I would say, 5 to 10% of the people that would DM me afterwards. Yeah, it's, it's a good it's, case it's, it's study like right you, there. You don't, you don't, you don't realize the value of, of of a network and of creating and building your own network, and it's something that you have to learn. Absolutely. Yeah, Thank you so man. much. Definitely looking forward to your podcast, and when you're when you launch, you know, definitely come back on, and we'll we just deep dive on that. Absolutely. Make sure everybody knows how to find it and get subscribed and everything like that. As to what you were saying, how can people actually follow you? You know. Where, what is your Instagram? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so, so it's, the Instagram is at Brand New Machine. And Brand New Machine is an is a event I started probably, oh, I don't remember how long ago now, maybe eight, nine, ten years ago. See, I didn't even get to ask you about that because, I mean, me being in New York, you know, I always associated Brand New Machine with Max Glazer, you know, and I didn't know of you at that time so it's like there's so many things that you're involved with that you know influence people and they didn't even know it yeah yeah so it's interesting because i mean so in jamaica in kingston brand new machine was actually like a house music event because that was always missing in kingston like there wasn't there wasn't a house music event so and i i grew up on house i like house and so like diplo came and played and and, and bob sinclair and congo mm-hmm. rock and all these people like when they, whenever they came through jamaica would come in and mm-hmm. like drop an hour toddler tea all these people come and play and it became like the, it was Wednesday night and it was a night that's not was traditionally not like a big night here. And I kind of created it to be a, a massive night. 
And then I got the opportunity to do a, a night in New York with Max. And me and Max were talking. And I was like, Max, it just doesn't seem like make it, it doesn't make no sense to do a house music night in New York because everybody, I mean, there's 10,000 of them, yeah, right? Yeah. And Max was like, no, what's needed is a dance hall party in, in, in Manhattan. Like there's dance hall parties in Brooklyn and Queens, but there's no dance hall party in, in Manhattan. And I was like, well, let's do that. And so we ended up, you know, creating that dance hall party, which actually ran, I think that one ran for longer than the one in Jamaica. We ran in Jamaica for four years. Crazy. And I think in New York, we ran for six. Yeah, definitely. Major, yeah. major event. Absolutely, right. man. Something I'm very proud of. So brand new machine on Instagram. Yeah, yeah so at brand new machine on Instagram, on Twitter, um, Facebook. I'm Steve Urchin. I'm hardly on Facebook anymore. I'm trying to move with the time. I was on Snapchat for about five minutes, but I just, I couldn't, I can't, <laughs> I couldn't do it. <laughs> I'm, I'm on I'm on TikTok. I'm hardly ever on that. I'm trying to learn that one. That that's like a whole new world out there, man. That is a massive music discovery yeah, platform now, which is pretty crazy. Getting into that, but um, thank yeah. you guys too, man. Because I mean, this is this is a platform that's awesome, and I think it's really important that people like you do this, and you and you and you do the deep dive, and you don't just you know you're not just shallow skating. You know, you guys are doing deep dives. <laughs> Yeah, man. I mean, I, I think that's I think that's invaluable, and I think that this is is something I talked about in this is that we creating our own narrative and 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 treasure troving our own culture. That's what you guys are doing right now. Absolutely. Thank you, and 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 we appreciate you as well. Seriously, more conversations to come, and you know, best of luck on your new venture, your podcast that that's about Respect, to be man. you know developed and launched. You know, we're looking forward to that, and anything that we can do to help, you know, it's all about that. As you said, networking, 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 you know? Yeah, man. Much respect, man. Thank you very much, guys. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Steve, final thing for our listeners. If we say this is your brain on reggae, what comes to mind? Wow. This is your brain on reggae, man. I mean, when you, when you said that, you know, you, you know what I heard? In my head, Max Romeo um, put on your iron shirt. Bra, 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 bra. <laughs> <laughs> That's the first thing. That's the first thing that popped in my head when you said that. Man, I, I I I just gotta tell this one last story real quick. Yeah, man. I was at I was at Medem, which is in the south of France. Um, my God, man, this must have been fifteen, maybe eighteen years ago. And I, me and uh, Fahrenheit were just walking on the street, and this guy drove past us, a, a white dread, and he drove past, and he was like, "Yo, you you Jamaica?" You, you couldn't really speak English, and he was like, "You like you know, ask me for Jamaicans," and we're like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah," and he's like. I'm in a band. I'm in a band. Where are you going? I'll give you a ride, you know? And we're like, um, okay. And we got in and, you know, in the car. And he's playing this, like, serious dub-ish, man, <laughs> yeah. in, his, in his car. And I'm like, damn, like, what? And I'm like, what is this? And, he's, and he looks at me, like, with this look on his face, like, what do you mean? <laughs> and I was like, what is And he's like, this is King Toby. And, like, he named the album and the song, right? And I was just like... I mean, I heard of King Toby, but I, I didn't know, I didn't know the record, you know what I mean? Mm. And, and he just was like, but you, you said you're from Jamaica. You said, you know, reggae music. And I was like, I was ashamed. <laughs> and he was like, oh, you prefer, you know, Lee Scratch. And I was like, oh yeah, yeah, that's it. Like, I was like, I, I didn't even, and, I, and yeah. I was like, here was I being schooled on my own culture. But and it, I mean, I was like, no, 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 I'm going home and I'm going to, I'm digging up these records because. This is never gonna happen to me again. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's why when you said that, it immediately took me to, to that record because I was like, that was a song that I first heard that sample in a Prodigy record. Okay. And thought, who is uh... that guy? He sounds like a Jamaican, right? You remember that? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. 
I was like, I was like, who is that Jamaican guy saying that? That phrase is so awesome. And then, and then I was like, wait a second. And I found out, and I was like, this is disgraceful. I got a deep dive mm-hmm. myself, and I went in the deep dive of like all that early, like really super creative, experimental. You know, people don't associate a lot of like reggae with that really super experimental mm. sounds and music and Lee Scratch Perry yeah. putting a microphone in the box of an iron bucket and dropping bottles on top of it and recording it and then actually cutting tape to make samples and make loops before anybody understood what that was, before he even understood understood what it was. Mm. He invented Sleep Hop Samples. Yes. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. You know it what I'm saying? It all comes from Jamaica, so, like, all of it. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. So that to me, that's why when you say, when you say, you know, this is your brain on reggae, that's why that comes to my head. Because I'm like, that is what people don't realize is, is necessity is the mother of invention. And that is so true of reggae. Yeah, mm. man. Wow. I mean, Essential. we look forward to continuing this, you know, in the future. <laughs> Jeez. I, you know, because you said brand new machine and then like, there's so much stuff, man. I feel like we could just have a separate podcast with you. <laughs> Yo, I was gonna say maybe you guys just produced my podcast and then we just said that's it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Well, thank you again. We really appreciate it. this. This one was a very good one. It's definitely a conversation. We don't. This is not an interview. This is a conversation amongst peers. So we we respect you. Thank you so much, man. Yeah, man. Likewise, man. Feeling is mutual. Thank you guys very much. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, man. man. Good. Thanks. What an amazing conversation with an amazing person, you know, a good person. You know, this is my first time meeting Steve, but one of the best, most charismatic personalities I've met so far in the business. Most definitely. I really appreciate his contributions to our industry and look forward to his upcoming podcast as well. I know that's going to be fire. That's going to be dope. Yeah, man. As soon as it comes out, you know, we'll we'll help to to definitely push that. You know, good people help good people, you know? Yeah, man. We just have time for the Tastemaker segment for this week. I spent a good amount of time listening to this song over the past few days, and I wanted to share it. And this is a single from Skip Marley entitled No Love. You know, it's an old sample that you would have heard on... One of the Wu-Tang albums produced by the RZA. If you listen to Wu, you know, after the laughter comes the tears was the song. The same sample is on this song. But, you know, here you have a 2020 reggae track released back in May, which I believe is on the upcoming EP from Skip Marley. That EP is going to do major things. I just know it. But make sure that you go check this song out. We'll put a link to the song in the show notes. And as I mentioned that, right, we have a new way that you can keep track of all of our tastemaker selections by going to the Pandora app. Hopefully you're already utilizing the Pandora app. You may be listening to the podcast on Pandora right now. Mm -hmm. Hit that search icon in the bottom and search for the tastemaker. And there you will find the playlist curated by yours truly, Agard and Khalil Wanda. And you'll find the songs that we've been mentioning since the spring. So right before quarantine, all the way up until right now. So the Skip Miley song is going to be on there. Tastemaker, you know, royalty with Protégé and Popcorn and and all the rest of them. Really excited about that. Um, Shouts out to Pandora for making it a point to make a stance 
for Caribbean music. They're focusing on on inclusion and representation. Represent, represent. Yeah, man. Shout out to Pandora. You know, a lot of times Caribbean music, Caribbean culture is an afterthought. You know, it's it's definitely inspiration for a lot of different types of music. So we appreciate Pandora for reaching out to us and, and allowing us to, to share our tastemakers with the world with a curated playlist. Yeah, man. Soundclash fans, the big update from this week was the beginning of the Jing, No Jing Bang competition, which yeah, is Walshy Fire's brainchild um, collaborating with Chris Diamond, this time with sponsorship from the Serato brand, which is a major brand in music. Yeah, man. Basically the number one you know, DJ software in the world. So it's a major deal that they are sponsoring a Sound Clash tournament or a Sound Clash show, I should say. Sound Clash, a big deal, you know? Also, Irish and Chin has announced that World Clash 21, the end, is officially postponed until 2021. So it's going to be mm-hmm. on May 2nd, which is a bank holiday in the O2 Arena, O2 Academy in Birmingham, England, May 2nd, 2021. Big, big thing. Big up Irish and Chin. Share the links to this show. Bookmark this show. Download this show. And there's a lot of knowledge being disseminated here. And we really appreciate it. And until next time. Peace. One love. Regular Lover Podcast was produced by Andres Agard and Aubrey Khalil Agard. Visit regulover.com for full show notes, archives, and more information. If you're interested in a sponsorship or donation, please email info at regulover.com. Follow us on Instagram at Regular Podcast. Like our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Regular Podcast. So let's take a break to talk about one of our great sponsors. I tell you what, I was listening to an audio book about Bob Marley on Audible entitled So Much Things to Say. Mm-hmm. It's an oral history written and performed by Roger Stephens. He's spent time down in Jamaica interviewing everybody, including Marley and everybody that was around him. So I'm talking Rita Marley, Skill Cole, film crews that were down filming him, you know, all the members of the Whalers. He's having these conversations in these interviews that he also collected while he was doing the radio shows. He put all this information into a book. What's so great about it is it, it just immerses you into the experience, quoting Pita Bunny, the incidents that happened with Bob getting shot, the concert when he brings the two political leaders on stage. And so you really get the excitement, the energy of what is going on. That book right there... I strongly recommend it to any reggae lover, anybody that's into Bob Marley, and we have a special deal. Go to Audible and get a free book, free trial of Audible. Visit audibletrial.com slash reggae lover, and there you can grab a free copy of this book. And the reason why I like Audible is because I like to learn new things, but sometimes I don't have time to read a book. I don't have time to sit there and leaf through the pages because I got work to do. So I like to listen to books in the car. If I'm riding a bike, just taking a walk in the neighborhood. There's so many different ways that you can 
actually learn new information or be entertained. You know, me personally, I like nonfiction. I like biographical stuff. So Audible is a great tool to use in order to take in that information and still go along with your day. Audible, they have the best narrators. You know, you're able to keep where you're at in the book. It's a very convenient way to take in new information and be entertained. Visit audibletrial.com slash reggae lover. So much things to say. The title by Roger Steffens, Oral History of Bob Marley. 